night. It was good, wasn't it? Uh, it's always neat to see families and the kids up and uh, did a great job. And so we're really, really thankful for that. Well, hey, again, just grateful to be with you here tonight and uh, just wanted to take a few minutes and uh, just share some additional thoughts with you. And uh, it's been good already, right? We could probably just go home, but um, we won't do that quite yet. Just want to share a little bit of a, a meditation, a point of focus for us as we think about Christmas. And, uh, you know, Christmas is kind of an exciting time. Um, I think sometimes we feel like, you know, as kids, it's very, very exciting, except when the tree falls apart. Hopefully that doesn't happen to you. Um, but Christmas can be very exciting. It's full of all kinds of different traditions, right? It is probably the most traditional season that we celebrate. And there's all kinds of different fun things that maybe you do or are a part of as a family. And things that you have been passed down, maybe things that you've kind of created and done on your own. Uh, but one of the key traditions uh, when it comes to Christmas is the tree, right? Everybody has a tree. I'm just sort of curious. Does everybody here have a tree? Does everybody have their tree up? Is there anybody that is still going to go home and put up their tree tonight? <laughs> Nobody, nobody's, nobody's that far behind. That's good. Uh, but it is interesting because the tree is kind of the center focal point, almost, if you will, of our Christmas traditions. Uh, a lot of times... Uh, you know, people might have one tree. People might have several trees. I wonder how many people might have multiple trees in their homes. Um, but it becomes this very iconic, festive element and tradition that we have as families. And as you know, they come in all shapes and sizes, sizes, right? Some people have real trees. Some people have fake trees. Some people have really tall trees. Some people just have those little short Charlie Brown trees that look really bad. Uh, but the trees uh, sort of vary in size and shape, and some people have trees that are very simple and elegant, and uh, some people have trees that are filled with every Sunday school and school project that your kids came home with, right? And it's just one of those kids' trees. And so they all look a little bit different, and yet they become sort of this centerpiece for a lot of us. And it's a, a tradition that we hold dear, that we enjoy, and it's that process of putting the tree up, right? And I don't know uh, when you put your tree up. That's a whole other debate, right, isn't it? Some people put up their tree the day after Halloween. Uh, some people wait and they put up their tree right after Thanksgiving. Some people wait until December. Uh, some people wait until the first snow. I don't know what they're doing this year, but um, and there's snow somewhere, isn't there? Uh, so, you know, but there's different traditions that all sort of tie into this idea of a Christmas tree. And, and yet, part of what I would like to sort of have us think about tonight is uh, that the, the idea and the symbol and the reality of a tree is also very sacred. Uh, there's a lot in scripture that talks about trees. It represents life. It represents growth. It represents being anchored into the truth of God's word. Uh, it, it represents uh, bearing fruit. It represents uh, new things coming to life in new seasons. And so there's all this symbolism in scripture that relates to the tree. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Christmas tree uh, sort of has its origins in Scripture. I think that there are some different traditions that go back many, many years as to how we got the Christmas tree. 
But I'd like to sort of direct our focus because I think that the tree is a symbol. It's a marker in Scripture that God has used to tell a story. And that's really what I want to share with you a little bit for a few minutes this morning. The Bible is a record of the story of Christmas because it records the love of God for mankind. And that's really what Christmas is all about, isn't it? But the Christmas story is not just the words that Linus recites when he's standing in that circle spotlight, is it? The story begins in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and it's really not completed until the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And throughout the story, there are trees that mark the beginning and the climax and the end of the story. And so I wanted to share with you a few thoughts about the trees of Christmas. And so when you gather with your families, when you sit quietly in the darkness next to a fire maybe, and you're looking at the tree, that we can be brought to a reflection of God's story of redemption as illustrated through the trees. The first tree that we see is the trees in the garden. See, the love relationship that God had with mankind began in a garden thousands of years ago. It began with the first two humans, Adam and Eve. And on the sixth day of creation, God took the dust of the earth and he formed it into the body of man. And he breathed life into that body. He made man in his own image. And then on the same day, God caused Adam to go to sleep. And we formed for him a beautiful wife. It was probably the first gift officially that was ever given. And the greatest part of that gift was that it wasn't wrapped. And so it was a good gift for Adam. The first gift was Eve. And both Adam and his wife were perfect. They had no physical imperfections. And more importantly, they were without sin standing between them. God placed these two perfect persons in a perfect environment. There was no danger. There was no sickness. There was no cause for crying. Their only responsibilities were to have lots of babies and to take care of the garden that essentially took care of itself. And in the middle of the garden, God placed two trees. And God tells us about this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God gave these two trees, but he gave one simple requirement to this young couple. He said that you're free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said that if there ever came a time that they chose to eat of the tree, that there would be a consequence. If you eat it, you will surely die. It's kind of like maybe your experience with your own parents with the presents under the tree, right? If you ever had a parent say, if you open, if you touch those presents, I will kill you. (laughs) Maybe your parents weren't that drastic. The difference between the two warnings, though, was that God was not kidding. His consequence was serious. Adam and Eve resisted the temptation for a little while until someone, Satan, came along to entice them to do what they knew they were not supposed to do. 
Again, maybe you have this person in your family. Maybe it's a sibling or somebody who will come along and say, well, why don't you just try to wiggle it or shake it and see what you can find. Maybe you can open it or convince mom and dad to let it open early. It's these temptations. The Bible records that there was someone in the garden who convinced Adam and Eve to disobey God and to bring sin into the world. Satan said, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God was just kidding with that death stuff. He just doesn't want you to have any fun. It isn't logical that you have to wait until Christmas morning to open gifts. That's just less time to play with them. Maybe you made that argument as a kid. Well, Eve listened to the argument that the serpent gave. She ate of the tree and she gave to Adam and he ate. And at that moment, something changed in Adam and Eve in the world that they lived in. With one act of disobedience, sin entered into the world. And then the Bible tells us that both of their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. And true to his word, God brought death to Adam and Eve because of their sin. The death wasn't immediate, but it came. And since you and I are descendants of Adam, then we have inherited this sin nature and its penalty. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. And even over those who did not sin by commanding a, committing a sin, but as partners in this fallen glory. The Bible records that we are all sinners, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, the wages of this sin, the penalty of this sin is death. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they brought judgment on themselves. They brought judgment on their descendants and their world. But even as God was passing out judgment, he gave them cause for hope. He prophesied concerning the second tree. The second set of trees were trees that were found on a hillside. It was a very different tree. It was a tree that sort of existed in the midst of brokenness. There was a dead world that came into existence because of sin. And it needed to be reconciled. It needed to be repaired. And so then we have Christmas. Jesus enters in on the scene. And Jesus, like Adam, came into this world without sin. But he was not born into a perfect garden. He was born into this putrid stable that reflected the putrid condition of a sinful world around him. And unlike Adam, Jesus never yielded to the temptations that he faced. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He lived a life of love and ministry to people that he created and a people with whom he wanted a, a relationship But the people that he came to save were people that wanted nothing to do with him. 
and then nothing to do with the message that he delivered. He told the people that they were religious, but they were not right with God. He told them that he was the only way to get to God. It wasn't good enough to just be good or to do good things or to give a lot of money or having the right heritage. He told them that they put on a good show on the outside, but that it looked like there was something special on the inside. But on the inside, they were no different than an empty box. They were wrapped up real pretty on the outside, and so it looked special, but there was nothing there. And of course, the people didn't like to hear that, did they? And so they eventually rejected him, and they placed him on a tree. The Bible records this in Luke chapter 23. After Jesus had been tried by a kangaroo court, he was nailed to a cross along with two other criminals. This is what it says in Luke 23. It says, And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And so the three hung there, one on each side of Jesus. One criminal began to mock Jesus with the rest of the crowd. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. If you're really God, then you've got enough power to get me out of this mess that I've gotten myself into. Sometimes we say that as well. You could take away all of my pain. I don't really want to give you control of my life. I just want the presence that you have to give me. But the other criminal rebuked him. He said, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And the young man that was hanging beside Jesus realized something that a lot of us today could benefit from. And many people today have still not figured out that most of the pain that we experience is not because God delights in evil and he delights in seeing us suffer. But that the pain comes out of the sin that exists in this world. That it comes out of the sin sometimes of our own faults in our own lives. That we have fallen short and we stand in rebellion against God. The young man spoke correctly when he said that our punishment is just. But he didn't stop the conversation there. He he didn't just end by talking about punishment and judgment. In Luke 23, he goes on and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And on that day, Jesus died on the tree of Christmas. Because of that day, all mankind now has the means to life, to eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2 says, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Adam's act of sin brought death, 
But Jesus' act of obedience brought life. And so consequently, as a result of one trespass, that was condemnation given to all men. But also then, as an act of righteousness, one important act of righteousness, justification was also brought to all men. For just as through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, so also the obedience of the perfect man made many righteous. The first tree of Christmas brought death. The second tree of Christmas, though, brought life. There were two men that were hanging on either side of Jesus that day. One rejected Jesus, and because of that, he will never see the last tree. But the other man, he trusted Christ, and he received forgiveness. And because of that, he will live to see the third tree. And it's just like this one. For the rest of us, all of us who trust Christ and take him as our payment for sin, we will one day be able to enjoy the last tree of Christmas. The last tree of Christmas is the tree of heaven. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, part of the result was that they were banned from the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, it says that, and and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so what did God do? He banished him from the Garden of Eden. He had placed a a guard, a cherubim, on the east gate with a flaming sword to keep anybody from going back and eating of this tree of life. But the banishment was not punishment. It was protection. God was preventing Adam and Eve from eating of the tree of life. Because he knew that if they ate of it, they would live forever in their sins. And they would never again be able to be completely free from their sin. And that would mean that they would never be able to renew their relationship with God. That they would be forever separated from God. That they would be trapped in a sinful, imperfect, decaying, but never able to die body. That truly would be hell on earth. And so God protected people from that. But there is a day that is coming that we will, who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior will once again have access to the tree of life. And the Bible talks about this in Revelation chapter 22. It says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light and no lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Isn't that great? There is going to be a day and time 
that the light is restored in an eternal and permanent sense. And this is the good news of the trees of Christmas. That what God desired and planned for people from the beginning was broken. It was broken by our sin. But God in his goodness and his grace and his love has brought about a plan of restoration and ultimately reconciliation. That he desires to be the light of life for each one of us. And all we have to do is trust in him, put our faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins and for the gift of eternal life. And when he does that, he takes us from a broken and dark life, from a broken and dark world to a life of light, to a life of reward, to a life of worship and eternal glory. And this is the hope of Christmas. Because it's a bigger story than just Christ being born in a manger. It's a story of redemption. It's a, it's a story of reconciliation between a people and their separated, loving God. And maybe you're here tonight, or maybe you're watching online, and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior. And, and maybe the tree has always just been a Christmas tree. But tonight, you can see the Christmas tree a little bit differently. And you can see the tree in the context of God's life-giving redemption for anyone who will come to him and acknowledge him as Lord of their life. That's the gift that God offers. That's the gift that we celebrate at Christmas. And the light, the everlasting light that is Jesus Christ is not what we just celebrate now. But it's also what we long for. It's what we hope for. And it's what we will spend eternity as believers in Christ. It's what we will spend eternity in. Not under lights. Not under the sun. Not under some man-made lighting system. But under the glory of God. Who will shine all around us. I imagine that each family that is represented here tonight... You have some kind of a tree probably like this in your home. And so tomorrow when you gather or tonight or whenever your tradition holds and you gather around the tree, reflect not just on the beauty of your tree, but reflect on the light of the tree that stands out against the darkness as it represents what Christ has done for each of us so that we can have joy and thanksgiving and hope, and peace, and love in our lives, and in our future. Let me just close this in a word of prayer, and then we're going to end with our our candle lighting time. Father, God, we just thank you so much for this evening. God, we thank you for your word from beginning to end. God, that Christmas is not just a story that happens to be in the beginning, in the middle of the Bible, but it's a story that was written from the beginning of time. It was a story of redemption out of brokenness. God, that your plan from the moment that separation took place was to send your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for all of our sins. God, that your plan was to offer by faith redemption and hope and everlasting life. 
And God, as we celebrate Christmas, as we look at the Christmas tree, God, may we be reminded of these trees. The trees that brought about brokenness, but the tree that brought about the death of Christ and brought about the tree of life, the hope of eternity in our hearts. God, may we have that hope. May we carry that hope, not just tonight and tomorrow, but throughout our days, throughout our year, throughout our lives and into our world. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.